As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Father in heaven, um, Sundays are the day that you have set aside for us to stop and to gaze upon you. Father, we know as human beings from the very creation that that is the way that you have wired us, all of us, every human being. And we know, God, that if we don't stop and gaze upon you one day in seven, then after a while, we'll think we are God. We'll think it all depends upon us. We'll forget you. And so, Father, this day is of such great value to us. So I pray that as we've worshipped and sung, and now as we worship and listen, that, God, you will speak to us in a way that will reveal yourself to us, that will convince us that we are not God, but that you are, and that we need you, and that you satisfy every need that we have. May the weight of the world be taken from our shoulders as we worry and fret. And may we look upon you, God, in all of your glory. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to John and chapter 11. The gospel according to John chapter 11, please. I want to read long reading. I'm going to read 53 verses. Right? 53 verses. I wouldn't ask you to listen for that four minute time frame if I was reading from anything else. But since this is the word of God, I have the courage, the audacity to command you to listen. Verse one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to him, to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking his rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. 
Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary and saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Well, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? They took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. 
Now, I took up this particular passage this morning for two reasons. One, last week we finished Second Thessalonians. So I had to go somewhere. And two, that this particular passage, as all the scripture we've been reading this morning, have been read for centuries on this, the fifth Sunday of Lent. Now, Lent, as you know, as we've talked time to time, is a season of the church year when we anticipate Easter by way of anticipating the passion of our Lord Jesus by way of thinking through various aspects in the life of Christ. This particular event is a significant one in all of that because you see this squared the opponents of Jesus against him. But not only that, this gives us a picture really of what is to come. Amazingly, what we see here as we work in Lent and think of the suffering of Jesus, as we see the great heart of Jesus, there's this one verse. It's a verse that's always, if I may just simply say this personally, gripped me. It gripped me as a little kid because it was the easiest verse in the Bible to memorize. Uh, But it grips me as I grew older because of what it must mean. This little verse, 35. Jesus wept. Now you know that would be appropriate. You know he was at a funeral. You know that his friend had died. And so with others who were weeping, Jesus would join them. You know, this was a weeping culture. This was a mourning culture that, that Jesus had, had, had been born into this, this, this particular time in history. In fact, if someone died, you probably know that, that mourners were often employed. Uh, Mary Martha Lazarus were probably relatively wealthy given what we know about them. And, and so, so it's likely they employed a lot of mourners and perhaps even musicians to play dirges. And, and so unlike in our culture where our mourning is quiet and private and with family and behind handkerchiefs and all of that, this mourning was loud and expressive. The louder, the most, more expressive, the better, more public. And so that's what was happening. You have to envision, you have to think about a very loud moment that Jesus enters in when he meets with Mary, when she comes out with the mourners. It's a, it's a loud time. What's fascinating here is the word for wept that's used by John of Jesus is a different word than what he used of the crying and the weeping of the crowd and Mary. And I think to give us, to to call our attention to it, to say it isn't that the weeping of the mourners and Mary was something bad or anything. It was fine in that context. But with Jesus, there's something different, deeper, more profound. There's a sense in which in that moment he burst into tears, his own tears in the midst of the loss of of his friend. No, 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 Jesus didn't start this whole time period by weeping. He heard that his friend Lazarus was ill. And and John is, because the great lengths to convince us that Jesus loves this family. 
He loves Martha. He loves Mary. He loves Lazarus. Deeply loves them. And what's fascinating here is that when he finds out that Lazarus is sick, he doesn't go. I would expect that given his love for them, that he would go. But the scripture makes clear the way John lays it out, that because Jesus loved them as he did, because he loved Lazarus as he did, he didn't go. He didn't go when he found out that Lazarus was sick because he loved them. Now, how is it that his not going would be an expression of love to them? Well, it was an expression of love to them because he knew what he was going to do after Lazarus died. And he knew that the blessing that would result from raising Lazarus from the dead would be the deepest and most profound expression of love that he could ever show. And so he didn't go because he loved them. And then notice this too. The sisters both have the same statement to Jesus when they come upon him. They both say to him at different times, they both say to him, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. They trusted Jesus. They, they trusted that if he had come, well, Lazarus was alive, that he would have healed Lazarus of this illness. They had heard of it. They had seen it. And in fact, they could have simply said, when you heard that Lazarus was sick, you could have healed him from a distance because Jesus had done that before as well. The fourth chapter of John, John tells us about a situation where an official comes to Jesus and says, my son is sick. And Jesus says, well, go home. He's better. And so he gets home and he finds his son better. And he said, when did this happen? And the, his servants said, well, yesterday. And he goes, oh yeah, that's when Jesus so Jesus can heal long distance. So, so that's not even the issue either. It isn't that he just didn't go. It's that he didn't heal him. And he didn't heal him because he loved him. Because he knew there was greater glory to God and greater benefit to everyone if he didn't. If he raised him from the dead. But notice, even though each sister has the same statement to Jesus, Jesus responds to each sister very differently. With Martha, who's the first one he meets, he's very theological. With Mary, the second sister he meets, he's very relational and emotional. Now, I, I suspect that's in the order that we're supposed to take them. I suspect there's some good order here that perhaps we understand the relational and the emotional in the context of the theological. That makes sense, doesn't it? We ground ourselves in truth. He deals with truth with Martha, and then he comes to Mary, and he's able to, to live that out relationally and emotionally. But, but Martha, the first sister, Martha comes to him. She, she realizes Jesus is on his way, and so she, she leaves and she runs out to find him she gives him the statement Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died and then notice how Jesus puts it to her he says your brother will rise again now Martha has been well schooled by the Pharisees who believed in a resurrection the Sadducees didn't in that day but the Pharisees did so been well schooled she said well yes I know that I know in the last day my brother will rise, and so will everybody else, right? And then Jesus does something that he always does. He took a situation 
that seem to be revolving around other people. Seem to be revolving around Lazarus' death, the funeral, the mourning, the grieving sisters. He takes a situation that seemed to be revolving around everybody else and, and, and naturally revolving around everyone else. And he focused all the attention upon himself. Now, if you and I did that, that'd be rude. But just so you know, you and I aren't Jesus. Okay? You see, that's the, the amazing thing about Jesus. People say, well, Jesus was a good moral teacher. And I always scratch my head when I hear that. And I said, Jesus offered very little new moral teaching. The teaching that Jesus gave that was new was about who he was. His own identity. So if you're going to buy into the teaching of Jesus, you've got to buy into Jesus. Because the significant, but most of what he said was about himself. And he does it again. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He says, he says listen, there isn't any resurrection on the last day or any day without me. There is no life today or any day without me. If you believe in me, and this little expression in, if I could just be picky for a moment, this little expression in could easily and perhaps better be translated as into. If you believe into me, which means if you join with me, if you're attached to me, if you're in union with me. You see, when Jesus calls for belief, he doesn't say, well, here's, a, here's some facts, check them off. No, 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 no. He says, trust me. Believe into me. Join together with me that who I am flows to you because we're joined together. That's what it means to trust. That's what it means to believe in him. We rest our all in him. Everything. Our hope, our destiny, our very lives. He says, believe, if you believe in me, even if you die, you live. If you believe in me, you live. And thus, in that sense, will never die. What an absurd statement for him to make. Unless he's God. I mean, if I walked around and I said to people, I'm the resurrection and the life. They would run. They would lock me up. I mean, really? What an absurd state. Unless, because what Jesus is saying is, is that resurrection is so identified, so tied to me, there isn't any without me. Life is so tied up and, and so in me that there isn't any without me. And Jesus was known for such statements. These statements that said, I'm really God. He said, I can forgive your sins. He said, the Father and I are one. He said, if you honor me, you honor God. If you trust in me, you trust in God. He said, he said I existed before Abraham. Those are absurd statements. Unless he's eternal. 
God. He said, I'm the bread of life. Really. He says, without me you'll die. I'm the very sustenance that everyone needs. I'm the bread of life. That's who I am. What an absurd statement. If he's just a guy, even a good guy, even a smart guy, even a strong guy, whatever. If he's not God, that's an absurd statement. He says, I'm the light of the world. You can't see anything unless you see it through me. Everything that you see will be darkness without me because I'm the light. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. You can't get to God unless you go through me. I'm the good shepherd. You'll, you'll die. There's no direction. There's no sustenance. There's no nourishment. There's no leading without me. There's no protection without me. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the true vine. Without me, you die. I'm the way, the truth, and the light. There's no way to get to the Father unless you come through me. All absurd statements. Unless he really is God. So then he looks at Martha. He says, do you believe this? As I was reading through this this week, multiple times as I do, I, I kept writing on my paper. That's my generation. I still have paper. I kept writing on my, my, my legal pad. Do I believe this? Really? Do I believe this? Really? If I die, will I live? And do I live now? Well then, he's done really with Martha and he wants to talk to Mary and she's back at the, at the house, if you will, with the mourners. And so Martha goes and gets Mary and, and she knows that Jesus wants to see her. So she runs out to him and everybody thinks that she's going to the tomb. So, so Jesus, so, so all the mourners go with her and she meets up with Jesus and he sees them weeping and he sees Mary weeping as well. And notice, what the scripture says, that he was deeply moved in his spirit, greatly troubled, asked, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see. And at that moment in time, Jesus enters in with him. It says that Jesus wept. And we say, yes, all right, I, I see. It's a little confusing because we know that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so we kind of wonder, what's the problem? You should be happy. You should be smiling, saying, I can solve your problem. Everything will be fine. But he doesn't. At that moment in time, as a human being, as a man, he enters into their moment, to that moment of grief. The prophet Isaiah, when speaking of the Christ who was to come, who did come, who is Jesus, said that he was a, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yes, he is the truth, he is God, but he's also man who knows our frame. And he knows death. And he knows the sorrow of losing a friend. He knows the grief that comes when someone dies. And he enters into that with Mary and Martha and the mourners. And everyone who's there, he gets it, he understands, he knows what we know, what we experience when we lose someone that we love. And it gives us great confidence when we come to the Lord Jesus in prayer. The author of Hebrews tells us that we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. But yet he's been made like us in every way, yet without sin. So we know that when we grieve and we go to Jesus, he can give us strength, he can give us comfort, he can give us help because he knows. 
He knows death. But there is something more here about the tears of Jesus. I mean, they got it as they watched him. Some said, see how he loved him. And he did. And so his tears were genuine and all of that. But then others among them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Isn't that a question? I mean, again, Jesus, why are you so upset? When you could have caused him, you could have kept him from dying. And, 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 and you knew what you were going to do. And I think we find the answer to that. In this expression, in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now that expression, deeply moved. It's an interesting one. It's also used in the Greek language of the day to describe a horse snorting. I would make the sound, but... It doesn't play well on the recording. All right? But, you, but you, you know what that sounds like. And, and, and so it became to be a word that was used, frankly, almost exclusively as a word that stood for anger and outrage. So the sense here is, if that's true, the sense here is that Jesus, though weeping in sorrow, no doubt, because of the grief, was also, as he faced the tomb of Lazarus, was also outraged by it. And so his tears were not simply tears of sorrow, but they were mingled with tears of outrage and anger. And you say, well, how could that be? What was he angry at? Who was he angry at, Jesus, at this point in time? What was the outrage that was being expressed there? Well, it wasn't at the grief of Mary and Martha and all of that. They had a right to grieve. That was their love for their brother. That was good. It wasn't that Jesus felt powerless at the moment. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I get really angry because I look at a situation and I realize I can't do anything about it. And it's so frustrating and it makes me angry. Jesus wasn't angry because of that because he is not powerless. But when Jesus looked at death, he saw more than sorrow. At loss. He saw death. As his father's. Righteous wrath. Against sin. He saw death. As the reminder that sin is. In the world. He saw death. As that which produces misery. In human beings. The very ones created. By his father to be loved. He saw death. As the onslaught. Against the people of God. He saw death. As The enemy. He saw death as that ruthless end. He saw death as something to be expelled. And so when Jesus saw death, he not only knew the sorrow that human beings know when someone we love dies, but he also saw an enemy to be conquered. Uh, B.B. Warfield. Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield. Professor of theology at Princeton when Princeton had... Theology that was good at the turn of the last century wrote this about Jesus. He said, Why did the sight of the wailing of Mary and her companions enrage Jesus? Well, the spectacle of the distress of Mary and her companions enraged Jesus because it brought poignantly home to his consciousness the evil of death, its unnaturalness, its violent tyranny, as Calvin phrases it. In Mary's grief, Jesus contemplated contemplates the general misery of the whole human race 
and burns with rage against the oppressor of men. Inextinguishable fury uh, seizes Jesus. His whole being is discomposed and perturbed. And his heart, if not lips, cries out, For the innumerable dead is my soul disquieted. He goes on, it's death that is the object of his wrath. And being death, him who has the power of death, and him who he has come to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but his soul is held by rage. He advances to the tomb, in Calvin's words again, as a champion who prepares for conflict. The raising of Lazarus thus becomes not an isolated marvel, but a decisive instance, an open symbol of Jesus' conquest of death and hell. What John does for us in this particular statement is to uncover to us the heart of Jesus as he wins for us our salvation, not in cold unconcern, but in flaming wrath against the foe. Jesus smites in our behalf. He has not only saved us from the evils which oppress us, he has felt for and with us in our oppression. And under the impulse of these feelings, he has wrought our redemption. See, Jesus so loved Lazarus that he was not only sad when he died, he hated the death that took him. He hated the death that took him because behind the death that took him was the sin of humanity, the besmirchment against his father's glory. And so when Jesus saw death, he saw it. So then notice. He went and he said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor for he's been dead four days. Thank you, Martha. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So then Jesus prayed. He prayed out loud so they could hear, so they would know this was a God thing, right? He tied his life with God. That's why we pray when we're out with people. God can do great things, but we want to acknowledge before it happens, this is going to be God. So when it does happen, they go, oh, that was God. So we pray, you see. So Jesus prayed so they would know it was God and know that he had been sent by God. And then, you got to picture this, please. Picture this. Picture an ordinary looking guy. Standing in front of an open tomb, saying, Hey, dead Lazarus, come on out. Is that absurd? I mean, think about that. But it's Jesus. So it's not absurd. And it's not absurd because he's God in the flesh. Who has authority over death and life. I mean, it would be absurd for anybody. And, and John, he, John is writing this, and he's writing this some decades later. But, but people who would read John's gospel would, would, would have been there that day. And if, if this didn't happen, they would have said, it didn't happen. John, why are you writing about this? But it did happen. And you better believe if it did happen, and it did happen they would remember when, when they would read this, they would go, oh yeah, I remember that. Lazarus, who was 
if I may say this reverently, smelly dead, right, came out and we unwrapped him. You know, it's amazing. We don't know anything about Lazarus at all. What do you know about Lazarus? Other than he was raised from the dead. And he was Jesus' friend and Jesus' love. You don't know anything about him. I mean, if it was today, he'd have a movie. It would say, you know, heaven is real by Lazarus. Um, but, but, but really, if you're going to interview anybody at the end of the day, it might be cool to talk to Lazarus a bit, but it'd be really great to talk to Jesus. Because he's the one who did it. Now, I wonder, please forgive my wonderings. I wonder, when Jesus went to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. I wonder when he saw dead Lazarus. And I wonder when he looked at that tomb with the stone in front of it. And I wonder if when it was rolled away, I wonder... If he fast forwarded some in his own mind, Jesus said, so it was to come. You know, it's interesting that Jesus knew that the religious leaders were after him. He knew they wanted to kill him. He knew that he would be killed by them. He knew that that would happen in Jerusalem. And he knew that going up to where Lazarus was would make him very close to Jerusalem. And he knew the time had come. And, and, he, and he knew all of that. And so he knew that he couldn't raise Lazarus from the dead without being killed himself. He knew that his life would be taken. Because the religious leaders would be upset. That he raised Lazarus from the dead. Which is of course what happens. There is no resurrection without the death. And resurrection of, of Jesus. But in the outrage of the moment. We know that Jesus would look ahead. In fact in John chapter 12. The scripture tells us that. When Jesus began to contemplate the cross. At that moment it said his soul was troubled. He realized he'd come for that hour. Later as he sat around the table of Passover. With his disciples. That he would make into this meal. It said his soul was troubled because he knew there was one around the table who would betray him and that would lead to death. He went to that garden to pray and the scripture says that his soul was in agony even as he faced that enemy. And he was outraged at what sin had done to his father's glory, about what sin had done to the people he had come to give his life for. And so troubled, he went to the cross. But he did it, you see, out of love. Great love, right? Love, not just simply an objective act to get this done, but he so loved Lazarus that he hated the death that took him. So he raised him. He so loves us that he hates the death that comes from sin and that he saves us. Passion, the real passion of Jesus. Two thrilling things in this story that I may close with, and, and, and thrilling in the sense that when I hear them, they just roam around in my soul. 
and it'll never stop roaming and in a good way. And the first is this great sense, you see. When Jesus was at the tomb, he said, Lazarus. Do you know? If you're a believer in Jesus, there was a day when Jesus spoke your name. When you were bound up. When you were smelly dead in your sin. That he spoke your name. You need to know that. You need to embrace that. You need to own that. He looked at you and he saw your sin and he hated it. He hated what it had done to you. It hated what it could do to you. And so he called your name very personally, very powerfully. The same power that raised Lazarus raised you. And then this wonderful expression. This wonderful expression when Jesus says to to Mary, I'm sorry, to Martha, do you believe this? See, that's really the question, isn't it? Everything's bound up in that. Do you, do I, do you believe this, Jesus? Do you trust him? Are you into him? Have you been joined with him by faith? And you rest everything in him. Your whole hope, your whole destiny, everything, your identity, everything in Jesus. Do you rest in him? So if you believe, you live. If you believe and you die, you'll live. Let's pray, Father. Pray for me and for us in all of this. That we would believe. I pray even now that you'll take this bread and this juice. Set it apart in such a way even as we think upon it. And that you would use it that we might know. That we are indeed in the very presence of Jesus. That he does love. And that in his love. He so hated the sin that destroys That he conquered it. Called our name. Gave us life. And we now live. So please father. Around this table. Convince us. Make it known to us. Assure us. This I pray in Jesus name. Amen. On that night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks, he broke it. And upon breaking it, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. It's a sense in which he said, this is my body given for you because I love you. This is my body that's given to you because I'm outraged at the sin that's destroying you. In the same way, he took the cup and again after giving thanks, this too he gave gave to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my bloodshed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And the apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. What are we declaring? We're declaring that in love, Jesus conquered sin and death. Now I remind you this table is not the table of grace, Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's the table of the Lord. He invites to it all those who understand themselves to be sinners in the sight of God without hope, except in his sovereign mercy. And all those who receive and depend upon our Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as the savior of sinners. All those who believe really. That's true for you. I invite you to come. These two sections come down this aisle to my left. These two down the aisle to my right. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. And as you do, hear the Lord say your name.